and welcome to Parenting with Clay. This week, I'm really excited. I've got Kiara, who is a fellow aware parenting instructor living in WA with her two lovely children to come and talk about all things play. Now, Kiara seems to have this amazing repertoire of games and playfulness. And so I just thought it'd be really helpful to be inspired about what you could do, because I keep it quite simple. But Kiara has just an amazing playfulness around her. So Kiara, welcome. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Hi. Could you just give a little bit more information about you before we dive in? To what sure. So my name is Chiara Rossetti. I am an aware parenting instructor. I'm quite new to the instructor part of it, but I have been practicing aware parenting with my children for about 14 years now. I have a 14-year-old and a 17-year-old, um, both teenagers now. I've been absolutely obsessed with aware parenting. I find it so life-changing. There's not a day that goes by where I don't think about how it has impacted my, my life and my children's lives and others around us. And I especially love the connection play part of it. Um, it came quite naturally. I understand that play doesn't come naturally to a lot of people. No. I'm here to tell you that it's absolutely in everyone and you can start really, really small and you can keep it small or you can get really gregarious. I'm also um, here to help people know that it doesn't stop at a certain age. I still have almost daily ugly laughter with both my children, especially my 17 year old teenager. We seem to sort of be on the same sense of humor train. And I'd love to inspire um, people to play a lot more with their children. The healing aspect of laughter is, to me, astounding. I've seen even the tiniest amount of play and fun and lightness open up all sorts of emotions that needed to come out of children. Not only mine, but when I meet friends' children as well, I just naturally start to talk to children in what I would say is their language of silliness. There's a lot of poopy humor. Um, I know sometimes I've chatted to sort of new friends, children, and they've sort of looked upon in awe because here's this woman suddenly, you know, winding their children up, but in a good way. And you can just see in children how just something switches. Their whole body sort of seems to relax when there's a usually serious adult suddenly speaking their language so um i have many play ideas and happy to help you can find me if anyone has any questions i'm on various aware parenting facebook groups and i can be reached um via facebook is probably the best messenger so i don't know if helena will put a link up I later will. but Definitely. happy to brainstorm ideas as well so Brilliant. yes where should we start well, I don't know. There's so much. But I mean, one of the big things that people often say to me is, oh, I'm just not playful. And that often stems from them not being played with as children. Like, so when I talk to a lot of mums, it's like, I just don't have any memories of my parents playing with me. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and it's, then they just go blank and they just go, I can't think of anything. So let's start off with keeping it starting simple. And then, and uh, the reason why I know Kiara, why you, Kiara, is that list. I mean, obviously I met you through Marion Rose, but then I think you compiled a list of just the silliest, most ridiculous games. And I think of it now and I just, it just, it's hilarious. So hopefully we'll touch on some of those. But yeah, if you're sort of starting to introduce, obviously it's Parenting With Play podcast. We've talked a bit about play on this, but where would you recommend starting if you're going, I don't know where to start. It all feels a bit overwhelming and a bit ooh, awkward. Sure. So um, there are a few resources I find. Um, uh, there's always Aletha Salter's attachment playbook. Um, I really I find the value in that is that if anyone wants to understand the sort of the more sciencey psychological parts of different, I think there are nine different types of play. That's a great place to start. I also found Larry Lawrence Cohen's book, Parenting with Play, to be life changing. Playful parenting. Playful parenting, that's right. Parenting. I was lucky because I had a, I still have a father, he's just unfortunately not in Australia, who was very playful and, you know, slightly twisted sense of humour, but I do remember him telling us 
really silly stories that made no sense. And although he was at work a lot of the time, I do remember playing with him quite a lot. So I was lucky to sort of have that start. But I absolutely believe that anyone can can do this. And I always advise people to start really small. Um, parenting can, we can get very sort of serious as parents mm. and worried about you know, things we never thought we'd be worried about before we had children and children do trigger us. So I always recommend maybe if you're brand new to this, starting with an aspect of your life that doesn't trigger you. So for example, a lot of people find a lot of triggers around sleep or food. So I would advise maybe keep putting them aside until you're ready to sort of tackle those. Um, so it can start, and I'm talking really minute baby steps. It can start with just the most simple thing where, oh, oh, sorry, I've got a phone call coming through. Oops. That's okay. Sorry, I thought I'd turned all that off. Um, <laughs> so it can start with really simple things like if just sitting next to your child and relaxing your body in a way that maybe you haven't relaxed before. And I find actually once you start to show children that play is a possibility and that you're not there just managing them and sort of you know telling them what to eat and what to wear and where to go and all that sort of business, I find children are actually quite genius at coming up with their own inspiration and their own play. Really hard for adults to get out of the way. So where I'm going with this long-winded explanation is really starting in you know tiny steps. So some of my favorite games are games that use hands. So it's body contact. And you can, this isn't my idea, but there's a beautiful, I mean, I guess it depends on, on the age of the child as well, but there's a beautiful book. I think it's called Love Rituals. And there's a game where you pretend that the child's hands are a beehive and you're trying not to let bees escape. I mean, it's so simple. And they get, you know, it's amazing like that the hands really, for them, transform into these hives. And you can make it as silly or as, you know, as serious as you want, even with something as simple as that. And the other thing I really like to do is with hands, if, you, if you're happy to draw little dots or anything on children's hands, you can pretend that their hand, you know, they're a robot and those are the buttons. And, you know, it can be as simple as two buttons, sleep, walk, or dance, cluck like a chicken. And these games, although they're so simple, you can run with them and develop on them and they can go for months and months. In fact, some of the games I played with my children, I would almost get bored of playing because I thought, surely, surely that they've had enough of this game. We've run it to, you know, the max. But there's obviously something in the child that that speaks to. So they will just run with it. And I love how each family also builds on these simple games. And it sort of becomes a bit of a family culture. And I was really lucky to um, have met Joss Gordon, who's who you mentioned Oh, we weren't. Anyway, she's another aware parenting instructor. And um, so we were pregnant together and, and started this whole journey together. And it was really lovely to have another family with children who understood the value of play. So when we actually met, we could do chasing games when we were at the beach or, you know, the mums could sort of start being silly together and then it built on you know, the connection that way. So that was really lovely. But, you know, if you haven't got that community, just start small, start with you and your child. That's what it's all about. And watch where it goes, sit back, watch how they react. Obviously, from an aware parenting point of view, sometimes play, oftentimes play, especially in young children, will bring out tantrums, will bring out tears, will bring out the shaking. Uh, sometimes the laughter can be a bit confronting for adults as well, because sometimes they laugh, they simply, yeah, yeah, they can go into that. And it's, you know, and it's, so you're constantly having to work on your triggers. Because often as children, and, I mean, obviously not in your family, but, you know, there was a, a, such a sense of, you know, don't, don't show off. You're being too much. You're being too loud. Calm down, calm down. You know, it's too yeah. vibrant. So, yeah, we've uh, all been absolutely. Stop. And do you know, with that, Helena, what a, I find a really lovely idea is if that is one of your triggers, I would suggest, what about setting up a, a sort of a fake stage with some material and allowing the child to express everything that needs to be expressed 
sell fake tickets. I mean, we would set up fake theatres in the garden all the time and invite the neighbours' children and there'd be, you know, all sorts. And even if the child just needed to perform acrobatics or whatever, just that focused attention was enough to uh, for the child to understand, you know, in their own wise way, what was going on with them. So I love the idea of getting something that triggers you and then playing with that in the safety of your own home. So I would say that a lot of parents I speak to are triggered when the child is showing off in public. Absolutely get a listening partner, absolutely sit with that one, you know, see why that triggers you. But to keep it really simple without psychoanalyzing anything, just, you know, transform that, bring the child to, to a space where they can feel safe and you can feel safe. I'm not saying the triggers are gonna naturally disappear, but I do, and I have seen that eventually the triggers do disappear. So as an example, food was always an issue for me. I was a fussy eater as a child. And of course, you know, there weren't all the parenting books and the internet back, you know, the internet with all the great advice back then. So I, you know, there's a lot of protest behavior around food for me and a lot of shaming. And, you know, it was always at the end of the day at dinner time, everyone was just so, it's so exhausted. So I'm imagining that my parents didn't deal with it in the most graceful way, bless, bless their hearts. Yes. Um, because I really was, you know, I was, I was good at tantruming. I was very <laughs> loud. I was the middle child. But so when my children were young, the food thing was really an issue for me. And also we're vegetarians on a, you know, we're now on a plant-based diet. So I was always worried that, oh my goodness, what if they're not getting what they need? And, you know, your mind just runs with, oh, if they're not eating their food, they will be deficient. They will starve to death. You know, it's amazing what, what this yeah. brings up. So I found, even though the food part triggered me, the minute I sort of switched from being serious around food to being absolutely the biggest clown at the dinner table, Suddenly, after a few months, it all just the kids just started eating when it when it became not an issue at all. And so, what did you do then, like to be a clown? Because again, people can feel really self conscious and go, "Oh, I don't know what." Like, what? Give us some examples of what you would. Do. Yeah. So, so I think to start with, it really is switching something. I, I'm not sure how to explain that more than just you know deciding that I am no longer. I just give yourself a week, give yourself a few days, and go. Okay, I'm just going to experiment. I'm not going to worry about the fact that they haven't eaten their broccoli today, let's just play with it. So I, of course, went really over the top and we started a restaurant called Maria's that only sold really disgusting food. But it, that even started with me pretending we were at the cafe and they would finish their meal, go off, and I would chase them saying, hang on, you haven't paid your bill. And, you know, and my children were quite young then, but they understood cafe culture and all that sort of stuff. Um, so even something as silly as that was enough to get us into play mode. And I understand that a lot of parents are thinking, oh my goodness, I don't want every playtime or toothbrushing time or bedtime to be this big song and dance, but it's going to be a song and dance anyway. And it's sort of up to you whether you want it to be painful and emotional and ending in what was in our house, a shouting match, or to end it with laughter and healing and if the tears came out, then at least I knew that they were going to come out. And I knew that the trigger was the fact that we had been playing and they'd been able to open up to, you know, releasing everything because they feel so safe when they play. And they especially I think what it did also is when an adult is playing, it makes us feel safer. It makes us feel lighter. There's something so beautiful about being able to sort of relive what you would have liked your childhood to be like. I mean, imagine even if in schools, I remember having a teacher who would play and he Mr Salmon I remember him so well he was just lighter and you know he was probably he was sort of hard to describe but he was very he had the biggest impact on on me because he didn't take all the learning as seriously but we respected him and understood the way he, he was teaching us so of course I just that's the teacher that has stuck out the most in my childhood so and you probably would have worked harder for him than the teacher who was strict and mean mm -hmm. and because uh, i say with the absolutely of, of meal times is that you know well children need to behave at meal times and they need to sit quietly at the table and they just need to then eat their food without complaining and then be very grateful and you know it can all then be over whereas i love hearing <laughs> turning it into maria's cafe and just being really silly 
like you're not throwing everything you know that's important to you out the window because you you know they're not adhering to strict table manners you're really reaching your children in a way that is fun and engaging and absolutely makes it pleasurable absolutely. and you know another tip is if you know, my boy, still to this day, he's just active. He's a really active child. He was born active. And it's not its not always a nervous activity. I mean, I love moving too. So he just is very in his body and very, you know, he needs to move. So when he was two and expected to sit at a dinner table at, you know, at the restaurant, I just thought, well, that's just, you know, he could do it, but it was under sort of duress. We really had to bribe him with pencils and entertainment all the rest of it but what a lovely idea to you know if you have children and the dinner table triggers you because you know who knows what they're doing find a park go and have more picnics let them run let them naturally see that food can be a part of movement and nature and it sort of takes the focus out of just your little kitchen area and your dinner dining room table. And I, again, I understand it's not, not every parent is able to do this and that's where creativity really needs to come in. And that's where um, I'm happy to brainstorm with, with people. Cause sometimes if you're so in your life, it's really hard to come up with ideas. It's lovely for someone who's not related to you to say, well, hang on, have you ever thought of this? What about doing it this way? So there's a thousand other ways you can approach something. But, you know, I, I still always want to focus that starting small is, is where the, the magic is because that then you'll be less triggered and then you and your child, it'll be like learning a new language. You just start with the basics and then expand and grow from that because I really, the last thing I want to do is put any more pressure on any parent who's already, you know, up to overflowing with stress to think, oh my goodness, I have to add play to it yes. as well. It can feel like it's a chore. It's like, I Absolutely. just don't have the time or the energy to do this. Yeah. Can you go back to the hive with your hands? So I've, so do you mean that they put their hands together inside your hands and they try and escape? You is can that do how that. Some children don't like to be touched. So what you do you do? Sort of, what was the you have to, so my children, we were very, you know, we're Italian, we're very touchy-feely, so my, my kids were all right with that. But, you know, say if I was doing that with a friend's tiny child, I wouldn't, out of respect, not touch them. I'd get them to do it. And even the whole act of them trying to make a hive, you can... You can go off on a tangent with that and go, hang on, I can't do it. What's wrong with my hands? And then suddenly you've got such a simple thing of trying to get them to make a, you know, a fist, double fisted beehive into pretending to be this adult who has no idea what they're doing. And then they get to, you know, there's a power reversal there instantly giggles. And, you know, you can scratch your bum if you want to take it further and add poop to it. And, or you can pick your nose Always and go, I can't stop picking my nose. Yeah. I mean, there's, I literally could write a book on every single gesture or game. There's just, it's just thinking that way that is the hardest part. So, you know, that's an example. And the buttons on the hand, another amazing way to start, because you can even start, put, you know, and use an organic eyeliner if you don't want them. You know, I didn't want ink on my children's um, arms and skin, but you can also use something and then smudge the, the, the dots away and go, hang on, malfunction, malfunction, the... The, the sleep button's not working and you can, you know, like it's just, there's just so many beautiful things you can do just using hands alone. And even, you know, like even simple counting games and you can pretend that you've lost a finger or you can pretend that who knows that one finger doesn't want to behave. And so every time you come to it, it falls down. You'll find young children really loving to sort of touch your fingers. And it's, um you know, it really is that simple. Um, another thing, tip for starting really simply that comes to mind is again around food we would go in to order ice cream and I would say oh one curry lentil and broccoli sardine flavor and the kids be like no mom we want you know and it's such a simple little thing I know it's not for everyone to be able to talk to someone like that but what's really lovely is it's really nice to see sort of the person serving your ice cream also lighten up and then sometimes they'll go with it as well and so you've introduced it to you know this concept of play to someone else but you can do that also just with their plate at home and you can say you know oh how's your your peas do they taste like smelly feet and you know you can you can introduce play to absolutely every aspect of life. The um, article with the list that you mentioned was a 
I think it's still on Marianne's site. It's called Fun Mum. So if you look up my name in Fun Mum, there's a there really good places. It, I'll find it. It's brilliant. Good places to start. And um, I find the other thing, Helen, that's really interesting is how some games trigger parents and that some games don't trigger parents. So, you know, again, going back to having Joss, some things would really, I'd be like, oh, no, that's just, we're not doing that. And she'd be happy with it and vice versa. So it's always interesting because you're also connecting with yourself and understanding more about why the play is triggering you. Why is that specific game triggering you? Um, example teeth is another one I had shocking teeth growing up and I just have memories of being drilled and filled and the fear that came with going to the dentist so when my son especially would rebel every night about teeth brushing and it would end in screaming fits and you know him throwing the toothbrush at me and so something had to change you know none of the tools all the crying that him and I both did weren't getting anywhere play was the missing link for us, for our family. It meant that I had to start half an hour earlier because another reminder is that play is not the easy, fast fix. Always, it's, it's you know, it's again, it's the journey. You're not trying to fix something straight away. So it's not like I played with him for a week and then he suddenly brushed his teeth. He actually really milked it and loved the games that we played. So some of the ones that were a little bit more body-based and a little bit more energetic is I'd lie on my back and I would be the mechanic ho mechanics hoist and he would lie on my knees and I'd raise him up and down with sort of the toothbrush and try to, you know, pretend his mouth was an engine and he that was his language. He understood cars and tractors and, and loved it. And funnily enough, my daughter would try that and just not love that game as much. So we'd have to find games for her. The games around teeth brushing from a young age were things like I'd be, she'd be brushing her teeth and I'd say, oh my goodness, your mouth has turned blue and sparkly. What, what's happening? And she'd look in the mirror and say, no, it's not. I can see. And, you know, so different language for different children. But again, a really lovely, simple game to introduce to your daily life. But helps in the day What's so brilliant is that, A, you're giving them really loving focused attention you're being really silly which for kids to see adults being silly is just like what <laughs> obviously your kids take it for granted yeah. probably but for everybody else like oh my god and then it gives them that power like the, you know going up and down on the mechanics hoist or yeah. um you know pressing the buttons on their hands that sort of like gives them a yeah. sense of power and then don't be silly mummy you know you can't yeah. get hurried lentil ice cream you know yeah absolutely yeah, absolutely. And there's something about a child's body that I'm fascinated with. As soon as you stop being serious, you like literally the little shoulders, just everything just softens when you're able to introduce play into their lives. And as teenagers, so many people just stop. Play. Everything becomes so serious. Like even that we homeschool, but when I look at Sometimes when we have to look at the um, workbooks that are available for teenagers, they're just so dull and boring. Like it's just like fun suddenly stops at age 11 or 12 and everything's just, just serious adult world. But I really love the relationship I have with my now teenagers. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's a different kettle of fish, but we've evolved. Our sense of humor, humor has have evolved with each other together and to me, it's just, it's magical. So I, I have fantastic teenagers. I don't, you know, we don't have shouting matches. We just have a really, it's not always perfect, but we have a really harmonious lifestyle and our our home life is is chill. And, and I love that. And there are days when the, I don't know what it is. It just, I guess from so much, so many years of practice, I would just be on a roll or say my daughter will be on a roll. And we, we, I've had to stop the car and pull over because I am crying with laughter. And, you know, we'll come home and explain it to a friend or to like my son. And they'll be like, well, that's not very funny. That sounds really silly. But for us, it obviously hit the funny bone that needed to be hit. And I just I love it. I, I can't imagine life without that sense of humor. And, you know, saying that when I need to be serious, I'm also serious. But it's also helped lighten the serious parts of life a bit as well and I would you know I would love to also help people with teenage teenagers and to remind parents that it's never too late to start yes if you have not everybody listening to this has a little -y. yeah can you give us an example yeah. of a teenager my daughter's 12 
love, always love yep. to have some um, inspiration. Okay. So um, my daughter thinks it's hilarious when I take a phrase that is of their generation and misuse it, which I always do. So the other day, this is not going to be funny to anyone, but we were cut. Someone had given us some beautiful mandarins from their trees. We were cutting them up, and she was sort of, you know, making faces. And I said, "Citrus, be like." And it was so simple. And she was like crying and told her friends. And now it's become like her friends come around, and if they see the fruit bowl, they'll be like, "Citrus, be like." I still don't understand why it was so funny. They find it beyond funny. Um, getting lyrics incorrect so we'll be in the car and you know there was one a few years ago and again so silly and maybe some people sort of roll their eyes and go there was a a lyric that said I find peace in your violence and I said I thought they'd said I find peas in your vase and then that developed into I want to pee in your vase and you know really silly Helena but it's become you know two years later we still if we see a vase that will come up and that's part of our family culture and they think it's hilarious and you know a lot of the times I pretend to be the one that doesn't know the lyrics and I really sort of ham that up but most yeah. of the time I actually don't know the lyrics and I, I can't so you know things like that or um I mean there's so many examples that I almost don't even know what where to start with adults because the I mean the, the sense of humor is a bit more nuanced like when you're a when you're little, when you're dealing with little children, it can be sort of, you know, poopy humour and it can be, you know, picking nose humour and it, it sort of, it's, it's, a, it's got a different sort of aspect to it than, than I guess than, than adult humour. But I'm also quite fascinated. I mean, this is just a slight aside, but um, I love the idea of then adults being playful together. And there's someone I follow on Instagram who I can never remember, she's got an unusual time like it have to link it she encourages playful dates with partners and you know husbands and wives because she said again when you're parenting and when you're in a marriage it can be very serious and it you know she says things like as simple as sitting opposite your partner and just making faces and mirroring each other can be enough play to reset and sort of get you out of that mind that thinking mind of oh we have to get the bills paid and all that sort of stuff so it's um yeah I'm fascinated by the progression from you know tiny up and I will say that uh, toilet humor never and uh, ever gets old in our house ever <laughs> and and I know that's another thing that triggers parents it does and I think goodness. I was actually going to say when you were like doing the whole picking nose and the toilet humor is that there's that fear that their children are just going to misbehave and be disgusting. Yeah. around everybody else and that's just going to be embarrassing and inappropriate so what would you say if that you know feel like that so um i'm going to borrow larry cohen has a great game and this is you can apply this to so it's the it's the when your child swears mm-hmm. and you know my children very advanced knew lots of bad words at very young age <laughs> and you know it's funny not funny because yeah. hearing you know and there's all those internet videos with a child swearing and you just you know, it's sort of, you cringe, but you also piss yourself laughing. It's obviously some kind of healing that needs to happen yeah. there. But um, he said, you know, you're, and I was so worried about my children using the words inappropriately. I mean, they're always inappropriate when they're a two-year-old. But Larry said, you really run with that and pretend. So next time they say it, say, oh, my goodness, no, that's my secret name. Don't tell anyone. And then you give, you say, well, look, I've got another secret name, but I'm not telling you. And of course they, oh, what is it? What is it? What is it? And you say, well, it's Mr. Flowerpothead, or, you know. And so you divert them away from the really triggering word. And, and again, this takes weeks and months and, you know, and, and possibly years <laughs> to help them with. But the magic there and what I want to tell parents is Children know what is right. From a young age, they know exactly what is right and wrong. I know sometimes it's, you know, they're a bit curious and maybe they will, for example, use the wrong word, you know, to the Woolies checkout person. But generally, kids are super smart and we're social beings. They, they, they're so attuned to knowing what is right and wrong. But if you can help them lighten the load around something as serious as, you know, picking their nose or t- using poopy humour or, you know, all the rest. Of, and, you know, I mean, even like things like genital, genitalia play can, you know, I remember my child at three, 
three years older, even younger, was actually, he must have been younger, and he shouted in the shops. He goes, Mummy, can you scratch my balls like you did the other night? And it was, oh, my goodness, they're going to think I'm, you know, and it was just, it was awful. And I just, and everyone looks at you and, oh, terrible. But, of course, then, you know, we could come home and sort of talk like that and turn that into humour. And, of course, it was never said again. He just learnt through humour that there are places to talk about things like that and places to not talk about things like that. So, again, it can seem quite counterintuitive, but children really, really are so switched on and maybe much more switched on than we think they are. And if you can help guide them through these things that trigger you, and also, do you know, Helena, it's also okay to say to them, even from a really young age, when you said that, I felt really embarrassed. Or, you know, without shaming them, you can say, I feel really strange. What about we play games in our house and use that word as much as you want to use it? But when we walk out the door, what about we don't use it? And you can even walk out the door and when you're on the balcony or the porch, keep going with the game and go, oh, it slipped out of my mind. Oh, there's that word again. Oh, let's find something. And, you know, go to the garden and you can progressively. And then in the car, say, in the car, you cannot use that word. You can absolutely do not use the word bum in the car. And, you know, and then you've you've gotten to the car. They've done it. They've, we've all laughed. And fingers crossed, they'll know not to use that word. Well, they, yeah, I always find that they are more willing to not use that word then because they've had that opportunity to shout bum or my son is... Yeah embracing the f word at the moment you know yep. he's had that opportunity to really shout it out and sometimes you know he'll call me an effing idiot and i'll call him an effing idiot and what yep. and i'm going my parents would never do this you know and so it's really you know sometimes and i know how powerful it is but sometimes i still catch myself going i've just called my six-year-old child an effing idiot I know. <laughs> I know absolutely and that took me a while to get used to as well um and also singing songs about it is really great as well so you can just string a whole bunch of the worst words you know together and put it to a tune and just sing it and you can actually even almost you know lovingly annoy your child by cooking dinner and just keep singing that song and you can sing it to like you know bibbidi bobbidi boo or something really annoying so that then, you know, it takes the charge out. It takes mm -hmm. the whole, all that, that word. And, and I know that, if, you know, before becoming a parent, if I'd heard someone talk like this, I would have been a bit horrified. That was just too progressive. There's no way I'm going to do that. That's just counterintuitive. It's going to go, it's going to come and hit me in the face. It has yet even slightly come to hit me in the face. It's um, the magic of it is is really profound. And again, you know, we're sort of talking extremes. We can look at little triggers as well that don't, you know, because swearing is quite a big one for a lot of people. But we can look at tiny little day-to-day -day triggers or even things that aren't a trigger. What about starting with things like even just, I don't know, going out and picking flowers? What about turning something that isn't going to trigger anyone into a beautiful game and, you know, and pretending to see things on flowers that the child doesn't see or... But tend to eat the flour and think that it's food and the child can say, oh, no, 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 that's not food. And, oh, hang on, I thought it was food. I thought it was the plant and we could eat it. It's a veggie. So, you know, starting where there's no triggers is also, it is probably the best advice for, for people who are not are new to this. And um, Go on. No, I was going to say, um, the other thing that I really want to get in here is if there's any specific issue that your child constantly has to deal with for example my children went back and forth to their father's houses and it was huge it was serious it was a drama it was uncomfortable we all dreaded the transition back and forth it wasn't ever smooth the moment I introduced play to it and the fathers came on board with it suddenly it was easy and an issue that we had disappeared and I'd look back and go oh that's funny. I didn't even notice that now they just happily go off and come back. And so can the, you give an example of what you did then? Yeah, there, there are two great examples. Marion and I talk about this quite a lot because she was in the same situation as me. So child is getting ready to go and the father would come and pick him up and we'd have a gentle tug of war. And oh no, no, can I just keep the can I keep the smelly bum, please? I want to keep the bum. You can have the ears, go and have the ears and the earwax. Again, doesn't have to be as you know as crude as that. You can say you have the top half, I'll have the bit, the, the you know the, the bottom half, or I want her. No, I want her, and just you know, and the kid will be like, no, 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 no. And in it can be a sensitive. It can be very sensitive, and it might trigger something that needs to come out for that child. So always factor in 
that that might happen and probably and will happen. Tears. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so, and but then after that, to have two parents who were, you know, maybe not getting on so well, suddenly be able to put their heavy stuff aside, to be there for their child in this atmosphere of play and be able to sit and hear the child cry is to me the best and most free therapy that anyone can ever have. The other little game that I would play is when they would come back to me, I would do a checklist of that, you know, and I'd say, oh, fingers five, yeah, or, you know, or pretend that one finger didn't go, or I'd say, hang on, you know, look at their belly button and go, that hole was not there when you went. What what has happened? Why? And they're like, no, it's a belly button. And, you know, you check all their holes, their orifice, and go, hang on, those nostrils, they were not, absolutely not there. They were different. You had a bigger nose when you went away. And, you know, the, and, and then I'd sometimes add like, oh, hang on, you weren't cheeky when you went away. Why have you come back with all this cheekiness? What? Hang on, what's happened? And, and you know, and the kids, it's, they'd almost get bored of it sometimes. So I, I imagine that games like that would help me to transition. But it was a beautiful way to reconnect. And it became a ritual and it became something that when they came home, I would do a little checklist. If they weren't in the mood, I'd just pretend to do it in the background. You know, you can even get a, a piece of paper and pretend to actually check it off and, you know, look at them and they'd just go about their, their day. But, um, you know, did it's you ever find it like that. that. Did you ever find that they would get annoyed? Like, oh, don't be so silly, and which is a sign that there's feelings. How would you react yeah, if so they're starting to get a bit annoyed? So, again... I think parents are amazing as well. So I want to say that the, it's also learning to be attuned to what they are. It's a, it's a huge, it's a huge ask. It's very much attuning to, it's emotional intelligence. So I have sometimes taken the games a bit too far. And the thing that comes out is not the thing that needed to come out, but was just annoyance in that moment at me being a little, misreading their their energy and their mood and it's what's been lovely is that my children have learned through my attuning to their needs they have then learned okay mum's maybe not in the mood for this let's you know let's give her space that's what she needs she doesn't need humor she needs to be left alone or you know so I find that valuable because it as a teen, I wouldn't even have understood that concept at all. Mm. So sometimes you can push it a little bit too far, but it's all part of being human, isn't it? And I think when you're pushing hum humor too far, it's not, you know, it's not abusive. It's just showing them that you're a bit human and you can say, oh, I'm really sorry. I thought, you know, I thought you would, would think that was hilarious. We have a, a, a game in our house where we actually jump scare and we jump out on, on our kids and they do it to us. And usually it's hilarious. And, you know, we have this thing where, you know, my daughter will, when she's scared, she does a karate move. And so we'll all do the karate move. And my son will screech really high pitched and I will go. Ugh. So, you know, we'll keep going with that. And we all think it's really hilarious, but there are some times when they scare me and I go, hang on, man, oh, that was really I'm not in the mood. Like my nervous system's not ready for that. And, okay, sorry, mum, didn't, you know, didn't know that. Mm. And you can sort of rewind. And if you need to repair, you can repair from, you know, the rupture that that's created. So it's, you know, again, reading your child, but with play and humour really helps you connect with yourself and helps you connect with your child even more. So then you naturally understand where they're at. And with practice, you, it sort of becomes an embodied thing and you're not even mental. You're not having to go, oh, what play game shall I do today? It just sort of, just flows much more, you know, flows more naturally. And, you know, simple things, you don't even have to use their body. I just, having a ball is a hacky sack. What about just starting by throwing a ball, even across the dinner table? I mean, maybe not when there's food and drink, if that triggers you, but what about introducing everyday objects that, you know, see where that goes um we had i'm trying to remember some of the games that we started you know like a simple what were some of the games oh yeah um my boy and i would play games on the bed he would come in and ask for time and we'd play games and then they would evolve i'd often let him add the rules and what started as this simple game would turn into this you know months later this massive complicated amazing game that we just loved playing but it was just it was our game and mm. only we knew the rules and we knew how to play it but would often involve either you know a ball of socks or it would a hacky sack some object um hiding things even for children is a really simple place to start 
So I realise we've gone off on a tangent. I'm, no, I I'm love so it. I'm thinking, I'm so loving it. I, I could sort of talk about this all day long. And, um, you know, and I just want to say that going back to helping children with things like, you know, that, that they have to deal with every day is, to me, play is such an incredible tool. And, you know, I would say it's not for everyone, but I actually don't believe that it's not for everyone. I actually think that all humans, given the the right tools and the capacity, the, the emotional capacity to play will, I think it's actually all of our native language. So I've seen quite serious friends embrace play. And, you know, they, they play slightly more seriously than I do, but it's still play. It's still lightening the load for them and their children. And I love, I really particularly love seeing friends who say, oh, I could never do that. You're amazing, you know, but it doesn't take energy. If you don't have the energy, you can actually just lie on the bed and see what games come. You know, you, you can often, I remember being so exhausted sometimes when children were little that the game would be, I'm going to lie on the couch and, oh, don't disturb me. And of course they'd come up and poke and I'd pretend not to. Or I'd go, <laughs> and, you know, so I'm getting sort of rest and they're getting connection with, you know, even with my eyes closed or, you know, and then they'd cover me in pillows and, and it would develop from there. And then often they'd leave me and I'd be there in pillows and I could have a little five minute kip. So it doesn't always take high energy, but start where you can start where you're at start where the children are at I love it I love that just starting simply just I'm going to think back to now the hands I'm just going to have to tell us the the one that I love on your list which I will put a link to is you get in the car on the passenger side and go where's the steering wheel so simple <laughs> so simple and it's I still so do silly. it I still do it and the kids roll their eyes and go Ugh. but it's so simple and the oh. children even if they're not laughing their heads off and you know think they're still able to go mommy no you know what are you doing and you know it's it really is such a simple thing the other one that's on that list is reading a book and turning it upside down and they'll be like, oh no mommy now that you know that's it goes the other way around so it's such a simple thing but you're doing something to sort of break the monotony of the seriousness in your life because we do treat parenting so seriously and, you know, especially if we're busy and we've got jobs and activities Absolutely. and we think we need to be serious. And so I think a lot of it is like, oh, can we do that? You know, for me, it's a lot of permission, getting permission from Marion or other, you know, from reading yep. the book saying, oh, I can do that. That's that's good parenting is to be silly. Absolutely. I didn't think, I didn't even know, yeah. didn't know that yeah. that was possible. Absolutely put your jumper on backwards and walk through the house or put your, put your trousers on your arms, walk through the house. Like it's so simple and see where, you know, watch your children, see how they respond. Some children I know are a little bit, you know, like I've got a lovely example. There's a, a new friend of mine and she's got a five-year-old and a three-year-old and we met them. They were camping. We went to have dinner with them one night recently. And I, of course, can't help myself and started being, you know, talking at their level and being, you know, silly. And they were calling me Madame Poopy because they're French. And um, I was pretending to be outraged. And the five-year-old was uh, totally on board and just thought I was the best thing he had ever seen. Like we were buddies for life. The three-year-old was really like sitting back and working it out in his own way and not ready. And, you know, and I could see that he wasn't. So I, I went with the, the five-year-old more and the more, I, you know, it was so beautiful to watch him watch me and I could see him slowly opening up to the idea of it. And then by the end of the night, I could see his parents kind of going, Oh my goodness, what has Chiara done? <laughs> like running around saying poopy head, poopy head. But I could see by the end of the night that the three-year-old was, you know, the five-year-old got bored and went on and the three-year-old and I were bonding over, you know, play that way. So, and, you know, and they were about to have a, a, a new baby sister. So it was just perfect timing and it's really lovely. And now when I see them, they, you know, we still don't see each other very much, but when I do see them, they're like, oh, we remember you. And there's that lovely connection that we've got. Um, and through, you know, and it was just really simple play then because you know we were having dinner and we were with other adults around but it just it doesn't take much and we don't have to overcomplicate it we can often overcomplicate things and actually as you said you know putting your pajama bottoms on your head you know is yeah. just easy and yeah. really funny 
Yeah. And you can so complicate funny. things. You can yeah. you can absolutely go with that if that's or or try it. You know, like just challenge yourself. There's that great game that Marion came up with where you the children are running around the table at night. Remember, start early and remember that everyone's a bit you know at the end of the you know end of the day is all a little bit you know you've had enough at the end of your tether, but you ball up their pyjamas or your pyjamas or, you you know, we were throwing toilet rolls at the kids and just chuck them and if it hits them, they have to put it on. So daughter has to put on son's pyjamas who are too small for her. And, you know, it could get so gregarious. And, you know, and sometimes you do get hurt in these games. I also want to bring that in. Um, I used to play with my son and, and I mentioned this in the interview I did with Marion. He would often clunk you know the knee comes up and would clunk my yes. jaw and I would feel like my entire brain had my skull had cracked and then it would trigger me like really trigger me and I'd be Argh! it's all part of it because obviously you know they he's and then he would you know he's very you know very sorry and, and oh goodness I'm so sorry and blah 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 but you know I just it's not always fun and games it can yeah. end sometimes <laughs> like that um and the other thing that I remember that used to really trigger me is the gunplay, because my mother is Northern Irish, so I have a lot of, we used to go there on holiday, and I have a lot of unprocessed early mm. trauma of seeing... Guns, proper guns. Guns. And yeah. we had a horrible car accident when I was five, and um, it was in a, a, an army truck had come into the back of our car, and I just remember they, so they got out and thought it was a sort of a trap, and pointed guns at us. And so that memory, you know, five, never thought of it. We'd sort of talk about it in the family a bit. And I remember my child once, um, I really struggled with guns, really. And, you know, we tried to start with sort of soft little weapons that I would sew and he could play with those. And But I could see he really, you know, all his friends had Nerf guns and blah, blah, blah. So for me, it was a lot of healing that had to be, had to happen around that. So I I played guns with him and that helped me a lot as, as much as I hated it. I really pushed myself to do it. But I do remember once getting hit accidentally by a foam bullet. It did not hurt at all, but that triggered, I mean, the rage that came out. I was, and then I had a vision of, you know, being five-year-old. And so it's amazing like how profound that was in healing my issue that I didn't even know I had. So I do want to tell parents that this is not, you know, it, it can be, you know, it can open cans of worms that then you'll need to sort out by having a listening partner or going to therapy or whatever helps you deal with that. Again, I was so lucky to have Marion and Joss in my life so I could sort of process these things. As and to recognise it is something to process rather than going, well, I just hate this or you just can't yeah. play with that or, hmm. um, or, oh God, I'm such a terrible mum because I'm, I'm going off, you know, to have that understanding of your own emotions, yeah. to, you know, clearly that was a really yeah. scary instant, but to yeah. recognise that that's, you know, your feelings, our, our feelings as parents are so important as well as our Absolutely. Children. And then with that, Helena, what happened was I actually said, look, I have tried to play with guns I'm not ready. I really actually don't want anything to do with guns. And I don't even want to heal from anything that, yeah, I just don't like guns. And he was cool with that and, you know, and never asked me again to play. And, he, you know, it's actually okay to say, not, it's not for me. It's, and, and how lovely to teach your children that sometimes things are just not for you and you don't have to work through everything. Guns are horrible, I hate them. Yeah. End of story. If you want to play with them, you can play with your friends. We'll make it safe. We'll get your safety goggles, blah, blah, blah. Don't want to see them. And actually, once I came to that conclusion, suddenly guns weren't an issue as much anymore in the house. And he moved on to other things. I'm not saying that's always going to happen, but really interesting. It's almost like they know what we need to heal from sometimes. And I've seen that a few times with, you know, with children. They seem to... I guess they pick up on our body language a lot yes. more than we pick up on our own body language. They can read, you know, the subtleties of of how we are a lot. You know, they're they're so they're so amazing children. They really are. Yeah. So they're amazing. Sense, I'm gonna have, we're gonna have. I could just listen to you for hours, Kiara, but I've got to go. <laughs> yeah, so I thank you so much. Yeah, and you know, just we can do a part two or a part three because this is always something that really inspires me, Helen. And thank you so much for listening to me. I hope I've been able to inspire some of oh, the the people in your group. Amazing. And, and I'll, um, I'll post a link then 
to this list that you have so that everybody yeah. then listening can 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 get to it because I, I I never sat in the passenger seat and pretend where the the steering wheel went but when I think about it it just makes me laugh and it then helps me to be silly and inspires yeah. me so even if people feel oh I couldn't do that game who's listening to what you're saying yeah they can be inspired going oh I can be silly in my own way yeah absolutely and you know I am no expert I'm just you know I've just done it for longer everyone can do this and you know and I love learning games from other people so how lovely to share games because some of them will speak to you and some of them won't so mm. it's um yeah I say play on and play <laughs> on that's a great way to end goes. yeah <laughs> thank you Wonderful. so much thank you Helena bye-bye everyone Bye. Wasn't that fantastic? Kiara is amazing. And just the silliness and the connection that she can bring through play with her kids is just extraordinary. I really, uh, I'm so glad to have had her on today that you can then hear how you can start being just really, really silly with your kids and how effective that can be. Now I'm going to post all the links to Kiara if you want to contact her afterwards in the comments below. So be definitely be sure to check that out. And if you want to find out how to incorporate play more with your kids, how to weave it in through the day to help them with specific challenges that they're having, then come on over to parentingwithplay.com.au. Now, I am about to run a free workshop on transform your child's behavior with play. So you can really sort of get more information on how you can do that. So again, you can sign up at parentingwithplay.com.au and you can find the details there. I've also got Annoying to Amazing, which is my main program, which has got all the ways to use play and also help your child with tears and tantrums, which is, you know, often goes along with play and is just everyday life. And if you have a little baby that you um, have just now got a little baby and you want some help with that, then Aware Parenting Babies is on there too. So, so much to help you. I hope you have a fantastic week and I really look forward to chatting with you again and bringing you some more great guests next time.